Hey, Noodle. Noodle, come here. Okay. I got another question for you. What's the difference between a piano and a fish? I don't know. Well, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know that I even understand that one, no, frankly. It, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, are they just, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't get that I, one. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and this is, of course, the podcast with nothing clever to say during the intro because I just don't. I just can't. There's nothing for me to say, and I'm tired of dwelling upon it. However, I do want to pull the curtain back a little, let you see the man behind the curtain, and know that I do record these episodes out of order. And by that, I mean... You may get episodes a week or two from now that I recorded a week or two before I recorded this one. So I may still be going on and on and on and on and on about the fact that I'm trying to say something clever such as, hello and welcome to Just Another Fanboy, the only podcast with elbows as dry as the Sahara Desert. That actually wasn't bad. But as of today, I want to say I'm done with it. But you know what? Deep in my heart. I'm not. I'm not done with it. I'm just going to continue to struggle internally and eternally. The eternal internal struggle of humor. But hey, that's not why we're here today. We're here today because I want to talk about another first appearance, another themed first appearance of a character. We did Scarlet Witch last time because we've got the whole WandaVision thing going on currently on Disney+. Plus. By the time this episode comes out, we're going to be almost wrapped up with the old freaking show. And even though at the time I'm recording this, I've only watched the first four episodes, I will pretend like I'm all caught up and say, whoa, that show, right? Remember the thing that happened with the character when Vision did the thing and Wanda was like, what? And I was like, what? And Vision was like, what? And everybody just blew their freaking minds. Crazy, crazy, crazy show. And I can't believe that it looks like it's going to end that way, right? You know what I'm saying? The way it's going to end, we know. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but you know what I'm talking about. So yeah, that was me pretending to uh, be funny, I guess you could say. So anyway, we're talking about the first appearance of The Vision, which was in The Avengers, issue number 57, which was released, well, it has a cover date of October of 1968. According to Marvel Unlimited, it says it was published on October 1st, 1968. And the cover does show October on it, but I don't remember them ever actually being released the same month that is listed there on the cover. So I never am very comfortable giving out any of those dates. But the cover, let's talk about the cover for a second. You see a little bit of it if you are watching this or listening to this episode through YouTube. You can see on the screen, uh, I've got a bit of the cover there. I also use it as the image on the website at justanotherfanboy.com. I use part of the cover there as well. It's very dark. It's only white and shades of red. And you have the vision standing as a giant before the Avengers, who at this time appear to only be the Black Panther, Goliath, Hank Pym, Hawkeye, and the Wasp, Janet Van Dyne. There is some smoke behind him, 
even the the lettering, the the word, the Avengers, and all the letters are in red. The characters are just bathed in red with white highlights, and the smoke is a very light red with a just a, a tad darker shade of red at the edges. I'm not sure what that is supposed to signify, except for the fact that I know that the vision is red. Uh, but you don't see that much of the vision as far as, you know, they... We know that he's red, his skin is red, but he wears a green and yellow costume. So most of the skin that we see is just his face. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the artistic direction was behind this cover. I rather like it. There's something about it that is very moody and uh, I rather enjoy it. So let's get into the issue. Let me let me just run down the credits for you because you know, in the 60s, Stanley, even though he wasn't 100% involved by this point, he still had a little bit of input on the way the wacky credits were put in there. Leading up to the credits, well, I'll just I'll just do it this way. Leading up to the credits, we get four, we get three panels across the top of the page and then one big panel. And what we're seeing is this figure that having never met, well, I have to pretend that I've never met the vision before this point. We see this figure with a cape and a great big collar walking through the rain. There's some narration that I'll read you because I think you can't really do a lot of these older stories justice without doing a, uh, you know, a dramatic reading of some of the text. You just can't. I'm not going to do it through the whole book. It's going to be quite similar to what we did with the uh, Scarlet Witch. But it says, rain falls on the parched city, a rain that sends all scurrying for shelter. All save one who stalks alone the concrete canyons, heedless of the torrential downpour, because it does not touch him. Then, silently, effortlessly, like some great vengeful bird of prey, he swoops into the moonless, cloud-draped sky, towards a towering structure nearby. Behold, the vision. And that's when we see vision. He's no longer walking through the rain. He is flying through the rain. And that's when we get our credits, an eerie expedition into unexplored realms conducted by Stan Lee, editor. Do you notice how whenever you typically read credits in a comic book, the editor is the last one listed? But nope, Stan Lee's got himself front and center. Stan Lee, editor, Roy Thomas, writer, John Buscema, artist, George Klein, inker, and Sam Rosen is the letterer. So Vision flies up to this window outside an apartment building, skyscraper type place. He's up there fairly high and he's spying on somebody inside. Now, again, we don't really know him quite as the Vision yet. The, the, the title of the story does make us think his name is the Vision. So I'm sure readers at that point are probably referring to him in their mind as the Vision. Uh, but otherwise, to a new reader, this is just some weird caped dude. They don't know anything about him. All they know is that he is now spying through a window at Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, and her boyfriend, her hunk, her hunk of hunk of burning love, Hank Pym, who at this point is Goliath. Now, they may be married by this point. I'm not sure. I don't really have the time nor the patience to look it up. I have to admit, you guys who are listening to this, you're not going to hear this until the end. Stick around to the end because the first page, the narration 
on the first page. I really struggled reading out loud, and I'm going to try to uh, put my mind back in the game, as it were, but it really took a lot out of me. And once you get to the end, wait till after the music. I always put the bloopers at the end after the music when there are bloopers. And I have a feeling there's going to be, uh, I, I felt like I was sitting here for 20 minutes trying to say one particular word. And you'll hear it when we get there. But that's why I just don't have the patience. I just don't feel like looking up this information. They are either boyfriend, girlfriend, or they're married. It doesn't matter. What matters is she wants him to stay and he needs to leave because he's got work in the lab to do. So he takes off. She's kind of upset with him for leaving. And as she's standing there, feeling all upset about it, she's in her costume. He's in his costume, but they're wearing raincoats. As she's standing there in the middle of the room, feeling upset for being, as she puts, stood up for a bunch of germs, she suddenly hears the sound of the door on the terrace opening. She's thinking to herself, can't see yet, but I feel the wind and his presence. She says out loud, who? And this is really kind of weird to me. But then I have known Vision has been a part of the Avengers and my my reading of the Avengers. You know, he was he was an Avenger when I started reading comics back in the 80s. So for me, this panel is really weird, but he's crouched over. He's he knocks a table over. He's pointing at Janet and she is cowering in fear, which I understand that your time has come, Janet Van Dyne. Of course, I don't I don't know how to quite do his voice. It's supposed to be. Well, she'll describe it here in a second. Your time has come, Janet Van Dyne. There is nothing you can do to stay your fate. She says, no, no, it's some sort of unearthly, inhuman vision. And that voice like something from beyond the grave. Now, the voice part I get because we can't tell by the way he looks, how his voice sounds. We needed that. But. He just looks like another superhero to me or possibly a supervillain. There's nothing about him uh, that looks unearthly. That's the part I don't understand. It's some sort of unearthly, inhuman vision. There's nothing about him that looks inhuman except maybe his red skin. But I, I mean, I get it, I guess, just simply because of the red skin. But really, you only see that on his face. And for all she knows, that could be face paint. But it just seems like a really weird way. It just seems like a really weird overreaction for Janet. Now, what happens next? I do understand her reaction to a certain extent. But I mean, I guess I got to I got to keep remembering that this is the 60s. The Marvel Universe really is still in its infancy. And it when I read stuff where people are surprised when they see somebody flying or doing some sort of superpower, you know, somebody in New York, some citizen who sees a superhero and they make fun of them and, oh, look at this guy wearing his pajamas and, and whoa, he can fly. I always just feel like, why are you surprised? But I have to remember that these, even though it's 1968, and I want to say that the Marvel Universe, at least this version of the Marvel Universe, officially began in 63, maybe 63, 64. So four years at the most have gone by in the publishing world. This may be only six months or so into or or a year into the, the, the Marvel universe itself. So some of her reactions I do understand. It's just hard for me to put it in that kind of perspective. But she she reacts the correct way as far as, you know, once she's once she realizes that this threat is here, she immediately shrinks down to her 
tiny wasp size and she flies out the keyhole and then she uh, turns back into her normal size and she's feeling pretty good about herself. She's like, ha, I like to see him follow me now. That door is really thick and it's and it's it's an inch thick and it's locked. Now I got to call my 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 hubby or well, she doesn't say that. She says now to call Hank or she's thinking this. But then suddenly there the wall starts to kind of glow and there's these Kirby dots in, in, in the glow. And she says something's happening to the wall. No, not to the wall, but that hand. And suddenly Vision's arm comes out of the wall and then he steps through the wall. And that, of course, freaks her out. Now, in her mind, she's thinking to herself, as she sees the hand come out of the wall, she says, that horrible thing is walking through the wall. And again, I, I don't quite understand the whole horrible thing. Unearthly, inhuman vision, horrible thing. He just looks like another costume superhero or criminal to me. Um, but the fact that she sees him walking through the wall, you know, that's, again, that's new to, to the Marvel Universe apparently at this point. And she really starts freaking out. No, no, stay back. He shoots her with what he refers to as the searing gaze from his thermoscopic eyes, which hits her with heat, basically, which she finds unbearable. And it's it's really kind of funny because I just I love the dialogue in these books, the way they not only show you what's happening, but they need to also talk to you. They need to explain to you what's happening and they can neither do that by narration uh, which seems to always make more sense to me. If they're going to tell you what's happening, even though you can see it, a narration box makes sense. It's when they start talking to each other, that's what cracks me up. So he says, do what you will, you who are called the wasp. You cannot escape the searing gaze of my thermoscopic eyes. The heat, it's unbearable. Or soon shall be when I increase its unimaginable power. But then, without warning, he suddenly throws his head back and screams, the pain inside my head can't stand it. And that's when we go down on the street, Hank's down on the street. He gets a signal on his transceiver that's on his belt. It's an alert. He realizes that Jan is in trouble. He also realizes it's going to take too long for him to run back into the building and take the elevator up. So he just grows to his giant size and climbs the side of the building which is also very funny because you get one panel of this couple inside of their apartment and just right in the window is Hank's face. And he's thinking to himself, uh-oh, forgot that not everybody's used to seeing giants scaling their walls. And this woman has fainted and her husband is holding her up and he's saying, wake up, Matilda. It's just a mirage, I think. Well, when Hank reaches the floor of Janet's apartment, he crashes through the window with just his hand because, again, he's a giant. And she responds by getting angry at him. Jan, are you all right? He says, punching through the window. I am, lover man, but I've got a window that'll never be the same again. And so she berates him for a bit for breaking his window. Because as she puts it, even the guy that came in to try to attack me, he had the, the common sense or the common decency to open the window before he came through. And that's when we notice that the vision is now passed out. And Hank wants to know who he is. Janet, of course, doesn't know. She just knows he was there to attack her. And they decide to take him back to the Avengers HQ to check him out. Of course, that is 
after you write me a check for my window, she says. Ha <laughs> ha. At this point, we get an interlude with Hawkeye. He has come home from a hard day's work avenging. He's still in his Hawkeye outfit. Apparently, he lives with Natasha Romanov, the Black Widow. And this is not the Black Widow I am in any way familiar with. He walks in the door. Hi, Tash, honey. I got here as fast as I... What in the blazes is going on? Because <laughs> she's standing on the ceiling. And she's wearing a weird fishnet costume with like a bustier and and gloves and boots and a weird little half cape with a collar and a pointy little mask over her eyes. And she's got black hair. So had she not referred to herself as the Black Widow, I would have had no idea who this person is. And this is where we really see some of that 60s lingo, or at least the way Roy Thomas thought people talked to each other in the 60s. Now, having never lived in the 60s, I can't tell you if any of this is genuine or not. But she says to him from the ceiling, there's no need to shout, my amorous archer. You've seen the Black Widow walking on ceilings before. There's a lot of that back and forth. A lot of that uh, lover man, amorous archer, that, that kind of stuff. A lot of that is going on back and forth in this book. A lot of nicknames that they throw at each other. For example... As she is now giving him crap for never being around, which his defense is, oh, well, I'm sorry, I'm an Avenger and I've been out there risking my life. And she she's she doesn't she doesn't want to hear it. He never has time for for her. And then his communication thing goes off on his belt. He answers it. And it's we're assuming Hank because he answers Hawkeye here. What's up, man mountain? Again, another one of those dumb little nicknames. And so he apologizes to her, of course. He's like, well, I got to go. There's an emergency. And she basically tells him, doesn't matter. When you get back, I will not be here. That's the last we see her in this issue. So I don't know what has happened between the two of them. From there, we get another interlude. We've got T'Challa, the Black Panther. He's in his civvies walking through New York, letting the rain pound down on him. He seems to be brooding a bit. He spends a couple of panels just letting everybody know who he is, um, which, you know, the edict back then was every issue is somebody's first issue. So you get you got a lot of this back then. So in case you're not aware of who this is, as you're reading it, he's walking the streets and he's thinking to himself, had to get out of the Avengers mansion. Only here in the open air can the Black Panther be free to think. Think about his life or what passes for his life. I was a prince in far-off Africa, of a hidden kingdom possessed of matchless wealth. But I found my throne in empty, hollow mockery. Thus I became an avenger, hoping to find fulfillment in ridding society of those who would ruthlessly destroy it. Yet even that is not enough. I must do more. More! And then there is a cry for help, interrupting his thoughts. But that, in just three panels lets us know everything we need to know about this dude. They didn't really do that with Hawkeye too much. Um, not quite sure why. They either felt people already knew who he was because he was in costume and they identified him right off the bat. But since T'Challa is not in costume, they they needed a way to identify him and then give you just a little bit of his backstory so you kind of understand who he is. Well, this guy out in the rain in his suit and hat and tie. Help, police, robbery, over there. There has been apparently some sort of robbery. We got three guys running away. They're all carrying guns. 
One is shooting at whoever they're running from. They're holding fists full of money. They jump into a car, and one of the guys, the guy behind the wheel, yells at the dude who was shooting, and he says, get in, trigger happy, or I'm cutting out by myself. And trigger happy, as he is now known, because, again, more nicknames, that's kind of a thing. I think I've mentioned that. Don't get your jaws in an uproar, Turk. Nobody saw us but one guy in a raincoat, and what's he going to do? Of course, we know that that one guy in a raincoat is the Black Panther. And in the very next panel, his feet come crashing through the windshield of the car and slams into Turk's chin. But of course, as as this guy is getting kicked in the chin with the full force of Black Panther's feet, which obviously is fairly forceful because they just went through a windshield. That's not easy. That's not easy to do. He says, Arr, it's that Black Panther guy. And then the Black Panther beats him up. After beating them up and handing them over to the police, he too gets a call on his Avengers communicator and he heads back to the Avengers mansion. Back in the Avengers mansion, again, I'm just making assumptions here. I'm assuming they're they're working out of the, out of the mansion at this point. They don't mention it as the Avengers Mansion. They just call it the Avengers HQ, and they we never see the outside of it that I recall. So I, I I can't be sure. If you're listening to this and you're like, hold on a minute now, by that point they were not at the Avengers Mansion. They were somewhere else. I again I I'm just assuming. Forgive me, please, please forgive me. So they got Vision, who is still unconscious. He's out cold. They are checking him out. They've got him on some some kind of table. And Jan. And I'm going to read this because, again, here's another example of the nicknames. I still don't see why you can't tell me if my visitor was human or not. High Pockets, which she has to be talking to Hank, right? Because he's Goliath, which would mean his pockets are high. T'Challa says perhaps because he was both, Jan. So we find out that according to Hank's examination, Vision is human. Every inch of him is built like a human being. He has skin. He has organs. Everything is built exactly like a human. It's just that everything has been constructed of synthetic materials. Holy cats, Hawkman says. Man mountain, like your synthesoid. T'Challa wonders what that means. A synthesoid? That what 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 kind of kind of freaking thing is a synthesoid? Hank explains that a synthesoid is a name he once coined for an artificial human. And it does seem that that is exactly what this this dude is. They don't they don't they're still not calling him Vision at this point. Suddenly, though, Vision starts to move. He's breathing. He wakes up. He's trying to remember where he is. He's a little disoriented. His disorientation doesn't last long. Where am I? What happened to Wait. Now I remember my mission. <laughs> Hank says, "A mission to kill." Who are you and why? And Vision just cuts him off. I? Perhaps I am what the Wasp called me. A vision. A vision of death for the Avengers. And so they start to fight. We learn here that Vision can control his density. He can become super dense or he can become very light and float and phase through walls and whatnot and all that. But as he's fighting Hank, just suddenly he... It, it like the weirdest thing happens because they're fighting and he's telling Hank, I must kill you. I must kill the Avengers. And then he just suddenly he's just sitting in a chair. Literally, Hank is got him wrestled to the ground. He's pushing his face back 
And suddenly Vision's just sitting in a chair. And they're all like, well, who are you? And he says, well, you need not believe me, but in truth, I do not know. And this, again, this is something that happens really quickly. So he says, but in truth, I do not know. If only I could remember. You've got to remember, Vision, so we can be friends, not deadly enemies. I too feel we should be allies. And yet, a dark mist clouds my mind so that, wait, suddenly I recall. And it's just like that. He remembers that he was created by a metal being, one who called himself Ultron 5. And he can see by their reactions that they've heard of Ultron before. I don't know why, but the mere remembrance of it fills me with a feeling of hatred if a creature such as I be allowed to have emotions. So sad. But he does have emotions. That They, they talk about that at some point. Anyway, Vision is able to take them back to Ultron's headquarters, and we learn when they arrive that it was all just a trap. Now, this is before the Quinjets, because they're flying a uh, something called a Sleek air cruiser, which looks dumb looking. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just does. Uh, but they arrive at Ultron's lair, just in some building in the middle of New York. And we find out that this is all a trap. Ultron explains to nobody, because there's nobody in the room, but he's talking out loud. He's talking about Vision and he says, he realizes only that I originally programmed him to kill the accursed Avengers. He does not suspect that I designed him to black out at that crucial moment so that he would be taken into the Avengers' own mansion. He does not suspect that alternately, I have programmed a second reaction in him that if he failed to destroy them, he would lead them here where I could annihilate them. So he separates them right away. He ends up making Giant Man, what well, not Giant Man, why did I say that? Goliath, fall down a trap door where a robot of some sort that doesn't look anything like Ultron. So back in the day, he would create robots that didn't look like him, apparently. The Ultron I knew was always creating robots that looked just like him. But this robot and Goliath start fighting. In the meantime, the rest of the Avengers get trapped in this room where the walls are closing in on them. And the walls are too thick. They're too dense for any of Hawkeye's arrows to affect them or even Vision. When he makes himself super dense, he's also makes him also very strong. It's there's still not enough to, to do anything to these walls, but he is able to phase through the walls, which, of course, makes the other Avengers think that he's just leaving, that they, they don't quite trust him yet. And he realizes that he's going to have to earn their trust. He goes to look for Ultron, finds him right away, because literally right outside the, the wall is the nerve center of this sinister beehive, according to... Vision. So Vision makes no secret right away that he is now a good guy and he's there to stop Ultron. Ultron, it's really quite funny because he just suddenly goes, oh, well, okay, well, you know, why should we quarrel? We're above that. We're robots. We're synthetic. You know, let's just, let's be friends. I don't need to hurt the Avengers. I can let them go. It's no big deal. And Vision's like, what? Why Why the sudden change of heart, evil one? And freaking Ultron just suddenly smacks him because he was he was just trying to uh, lure him into a false sense of security. He basically said, Ultron 5 does not change his mind and has not even an artificial heart, as do you. 
But realizing that I had created you with such great powers, I knew I could only defeat you by lowering your guard. And then, of course, he's, as, he's saying this as they're fighting. He picks Vision up. He throws him into this vat of, I don't know what it is. They don't, they don't explain what it is. It could either be chemicals or a big bucket of energy. I don't know. But as he's doing it, he explains that his sole weakness is the twin electrodes which stud the side of his metallic skull. No real reason for him to say this, but I mean, I guess he's saying it because he also says, you're also full of emotions. So you have all kinds of weaknesses. Mine is only this. Um, I don't realize, I didn't realize that I'm telling you how to kill me, but I'm going to brag anyway about how I only have the one weakness while you have a bunch of them. But he doesn't destroy Vision as he thinks he's gonna because, you know, Vision just alter alters his density and whatever it is that Ultron throws him into doesn't touch him. And you'd think Ultron would understand that because he's the one that created Vision. Well, they start to tussle a little bit more. Vision is trying to find out who he was. Why was he created? He says he's got human thoughts, human memories. Who am I? What am I? Why did you do this? He wants to learn more about where he came from. And it's then that Ultron leaps at the Vision, who, of course, goes, uh, you know, makes himself, I don't know what the word is. He, he, he lightens his density again. So basically Ultron just phases right through him, slams into a wall. It, it, it's again, it's very confusing. It's, it's like one of these times that they really should be explaining to us what's going on instead of relying on the pictures. All we see is Ultron leaps at him, flies through him, slams into, into a wall, and the whole front half of him explodes. Well, we do learn that because Ultron explained what his one weakness was, that's how Vision took him out. I guess we're supposed to believe that as soon as Ultron's head smacked into the wall, that both of those electrons exploded. Electrons, is that what I said? The, the little things on the side of his head, whatever he called Electrodes, that's what I meant. Well, as soon as he is taken out, the wall starts moving, the, the Hawkeye, Black Panther, and Wasp are set free. The robot that was beating Goliath, uh, he suddenly just collapses. And so the Vision saves the Avengers and he explains how he did it. The Wasp isn't too sure. She's like, can we can we be sure this is, he's escaped death before and they point to his charred ruins on the floor. I mean, he's, he's really just the twist. They, they refer to him as the twisted remnants of his once gleaming form and say that only his head is missing. So they can just, they, they assume that the head along with its electrodes were disintegrated by the explosion. We know, however, that that's not the case. We get a one page epilogue that shows Ultron's head just, I, I, I guess in this empty lot, it must've blown out the, out the, uh, at a hole in the wall or something into an empty lot. This boy comes along and picks up his head and starts kicking it around like a freaking soccer ball or something. It's still got both of its electrodes just right there on the side of its head. But the boy just decides to pull them both off. And then he just throws Ultron's head back down to the ground. This is all during, uh, as we're reading a bit from the poem Ozymandias. You know, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. That one. 
Can't remember who did that. Anyway, that's the end of the issue. I I actually really quite enjoyed it. First of all, it was just gorgeous looking. It was beautiful. I am a sucker for John Buscema. That dude, I mean, when it comes to Marvel Comics, when I think of Marvel Comics, the, the ones that I read growing up, for some reason, The Avengers is what comes to my mind more often than anything else. I mean, I read Captain America. I read Daredevil. I read The Avengers, of course, West Coast Avengers, Alpha Flight, Spider-Man, X-Men. I read all of them. Between myself and my brother, we we got most of the books and we read them all. But what always stands out to me as far as what I consider that classic Marvel look for me in the 80s was always John Buscema's Avengers. And while I wasn't, of course, reading these books back in the 60s, it's crazy to think that while he wasn't on the book the entire time from 68 all the way through the 80s, he obviously left at some point because I know John Byrne was on it for a while. George Perez was on it for a while. They had a number of different folks on there. I think right now where I'm at is in 1984, my read through on Marvel Unlimited. I think Al Milgram is the penciler for the Avengers, but I know John Buscema comes back and he's paired up with Tom Palmer on inks. And that's the Avengers that I remember. That's the Avengers that really sticks in my heart. And uh, this really kind of harkened back to that because again, it was John Buscema. Now, all the, the corny dialogue and whatnot aside, again, I thought it was it was actually really quite fun. It was a, a, a an interesting way to introduce a character. Here's a guy that um, it seems very kind of normal nowadays. Whenever you have a character that they're going to introduce that is going to be a good guy, they tend to have that person fight whoever the hero is first. And that's what happens here. Um, I don't know when that whole trope first started, but it had to have been fairly new at this point when the vision was introduced. And so we got this synthetic human character with these fairly awesome powers who just shows up to kill the Avengers. He ends up becoming a good guy. He helps him defeat Ultron. And yet we really don't know much about him. That, I mean, that was like, that's like Wolverine before it was, before we got to Wolverine, because the thing that a lot of people really liked about Wolverine in the eighties was that nobody knew much about him. He was just, you know, this real man of mystery. And that's, I guess that's kind of what they're trying to do with vision here. I don't know. That's just a, a total guess having only just read the one issue, but now I know where Wanda came from, where Vision came from. I know that there's more to a character's story than their first ap- appearance, but I know that there's more to a character's story than their first appearance, but that's not really the point of these episodes. The point of these episodes is just to talk about the character's first appearance, which is why I call them firsts. Um, however, having said that, I did enjoy this issue enough that I may... I may go back and just see where John Buscema started and read some of these older books because one of the reasons I did enjoy this issue so much, I mean, because it was full of silly dialogue and, you know, just silly situations, really. I mean, that's what comic books were at this time. Not silly on purpose. They weren't like zany, madcap humor type books, but compared to the way books are now, they they do seem rather, rather silly. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. And the art really helps if it's, if the art is just excellent, like a John Buscema or a Jack Kirby 
or even a like a freaking Don Perlin over on GI Joe. They're they're just they're fun books to read and they're entertaining and it's just a, a way to escape for a while. And I certainly enjoyed the crap out of this one. Now, having said that, uh, I guess that means I'm done with the episode. I got a lot of stuff I like to say at the end to wrap it up. You know, join me over on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Stephen R. And for as little as a dollar a month, you get the other podcast that I do every week called My Other Podcast. There's a lot of fun stuff going on over there. Plus, you get these episodes at least a day early over there on the Patreon. I've got a store up. You can go get your official Just Another Fanboy t-shirt or your official Be Nice to Each Other t-shirt. Just go over to justanotherfanboy.com and click on the option up top there in the menu that just says shop. Now, I don't remember what it says. It says shop or store, and now I have to go look. It says shop. I also have a link up there. If you do want to you know, if you want to throw a little support my way, but you don't like the idea of doing monthly payments, even as little as a dollar a month over on the Patreon, I do have an Amazon podcast wish list set up where I have a few items ranging from not very expensive at all to some expensive items, just stuff that I kind of need that to, to help me take this podcast to the next level as it were. So if you feel so inclined, go check that out. But until then, my name is Steven and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Good job. All save one who stalks alone the concrete cannon. All save one who stalks alone the concrete. Can we go? I'm going to have to just take a deep breath. Then slightly effortless. It's kind of funny that the one that the word I trip on is effortless. See, (laughs) I can't even say it. Effortless. Jesus. Then slightly, effortless, effortlessly, effortlessly. That is a stupid word. Effortlessly, effortlet, effortlessly. That's the word. Effortless. Oh, this is going to take me a bit, folks. Effortlet, effortless, effortlessly, 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 effortlessly. Jeez. Effortlessly. Jeez. Holy crap. I'm having a problem with that one freaking word. Effortless, Jesus. Effortless. It's why am I saying it that way? It's not effortless. <laughs> effortlessly, effortless. Jeez, uh, Louise. I'm about to just pick up this mic right now and heave it through the window. I am so, I am so upset about the fact that I can't say this word. You are witnessing a man losing his mind on a podcast. Of course, if you're listening to this, that means this is at the end. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not putting this in the middle of the episode. So I hope you stuck around to just witness my insanity. Effort, effortlessly.
effort, effortlessly, 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 effortlessly. All right, let's try it again. Then silently, effortless. Jeez. <laughs> oh my God. Then silently, effortlessly, effortless. Oh my God. I'm going to do a whole podcast. Just Stephen tries to pronounce the word effortless. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting motionless trying to get my chakras back online, if I'm saying that correctly. Now I can't even say correctly, correctly. Effortlessly. Silently. See, that's the problem, is I've got the word silently in front of the word effortlessly. So what I need to do is I just need to record this and take a big long pause between the two and gather my strength to say that word. Effortless. Oh my God, I just keep doing it. I just keep doing it. Effortless. Effortless. Effort. Effortlessly, effortlessly, then silently, effortless, jeez, effortlessly, effortless, effort. What is wrong with me? Effortlessly, then silently, effortless, Jesus. I'm okay. I'm obviously, I'm not going to read this anymore. Effortlessly, effortlessly. Why am I having problems with that? Then silently, effortless, Jesus, effortlessly, effortlessly. Effortlessly, silently, effortlessly, silently, effortlessly, silently, effortlessly, silently, effortlessly. Jesus, cripely, effortlet. Not, it's not effortlet. Why am I saying effortlet? Why? Why am I doing that? Effortlessly, effortless. Jesus. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going crazy. Effortlessly, effortlessly. Effortlessly, 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 then, then silently, effortlessly, then silently, effortlessly.